people are like, oh, you should just relax and, and be okay with failure for, you know, sucking sucks. And so I'm, I'm often not driven by like being the best at something. I just hate sucking. And um, so I try to, I try to suck less. Welcome to the Strive for More podcast. My name is Jared Hendry and I'm the founder of the Strive Accelerator. We are a group of young entrepreneurs that you've probably never heard of. And we figured out that a community of like-minded people is the only way to ensure we flourish in business, in our relationships, and in our lives. This podcast is dedicated to uncovering the stories of the communities around successful people that got them to where they are, and in the process, we'll break down barriers for you to succeed too. All-around action hero Will Gadd is a living legend in the truest sense. Year after year, he continually pushes the boundaries of ice climbing and, even after having won every major title from the World Cup to the Winter X Games, he still manages to impress. A veteran of the sport, Will continues to seek new adventures and seems to have boundless energy. Will was the first person to climb a frozen Niagara Falls, not because he was crazy, but because he could convince everyone from the governor of New York down to the local state police that climbing Niagara would be a great adventure they wanted to be a part of. That process took years of listening, hard work, and preparation, and ended with the mayor giving him the keys to the city. And that's just the most recent adventure in a wildly successful career, spanning more than 30 years of high adventure from Africa to Greenland. Eager to rise to a fresh challenge, Will also broke the world distance record on a paraglider not once, but three times. He was also the first person to cross the U.S. by paraglider after a grueling seven-week trek. His hunger for adventure doesn't stop there, however. He can turn his hand to almost every outdoor sport, such as rock and ice climbing, kayaking, mountaineering, caving, Nordic and alpine skiing, and mountain biking. Will also has a career as a speaker and has been named a mountain hero by the United Nations, and he has spoken to more than 200 organizations around the world. He talks on topics such as excellence, managing risk, resiliency, seizing opportunity, high-performance outcomes, and risk mitigation in low-knowledge environments. Well, Will, thank you so much for joining us today. And for anybody that knows you by reputation, they know really all the incredible things that you've done across really so many different disciplines in the adventure sport world. But I kind of want to go back to your past here and just kind of start at the beginning of things. So like you started out your career in the adventure sport world um, I'm just wondering, was there anybody kind of early on, Will, that maybe gave you a leg up and kind of helped you out? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on and, and doing what you do. I'm sure you're really busy this time um, and I uh, appreciate that. So uh, <laughs> thanks. Appreciate it. Um, as far as people who helped me out, I mean, it, it is a pretty lengthy list. So um, starting at the beginning, my parents were both outdoor sports people. You know, my mom and dad were both climbers. So started out climbing with them and then um, so many people have helped me out and I think it's, it's almost unfathomable today, but I was, when I was a kid, especially in my teen years, I would get home from school and if it was kayaking season, I had a list of, of people on the wall that I'd just start calling and I'd start the top of the list. And I'd like work my way all the way down to the bottom and, and half the time, all 15 names or whatever would say no. So I just start at the top of the list again until somebody would finally take me. And, um, looking you back on calling. Yeah, well, they they knew who I was, so it wasn't total cold calling, but it was it was sales in a way. I was like, hey, you know, I'll I'll, I'll like mow your lawn, I'll babysit your kids. I was fourteen, right? 
Yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, as a 14 year old boy, um, babysitting is not that cool, but if I could get to go <laughs> kayaking, you know, I was in, I was like, I'll change diapers or whatever it takes, but I'm going to get to go paddling today. And, uh, so all, all those people on that list and, and for climbing as well, I had a list like that and, um, all the different sports who just educated me and, and took me out and, you know, amazing adventures, 14 year old kid doing first descents of rivers in Canada. It was awesome, man. So big thanks to them and, and everybody else who just got me out and then more formal training as I got older as well. And my parents were putting up with it all. And, and your folks were really, like you mentioned, into the adventure sport world. And, and I've meant, I've uh, read some of your father's books. He's Ben Gad, right? And he's published some really remarkable books on, on the Canadian Rockies. What was that kind of influence like for you? Well, I remember when I got to university, I took my first um, geology course. I don't think I showed up for class once and still got an A because I've been, <laughs> I've been in, you know, I've been in a geology class my entire life. You know, look, son of Sid Clyde. It's like you're six years old and an Annie Klein. Yeah. Look at this, you know, look at the stratigraphy over there. And so, um, yeah, it was, I did get an education on the Canadian Rockies growing up. And then also, you know, looking at sports and, getting out climbing from a very early age and some of that's really positive and some of it was more difficult. I went to a lot of, uh, a lot of funerals and wakes as a kid and, and from people who didn't make it and that left an impact for sure. So, but yeah, it just gives you a, a perspective on the whole situation and, and I'm very grateful to have had that. Those deaths that you mentioned, uh, like obviously that's so traumatic as a kid going through that. How has that kind of led you through your climbing career? Has that impacted you? Do you, do you think? Well, as, as a kid, when, when people would die, you know, kids are really good ex- at accepting what is. And I didn't know any different. I thought this was normal. I thought that, you know, every all kids deal with this. And maybe kids in, in not that I was in any way a bad situation. I don't want to, I don't want to mm-hmm. say that at all. But but kids in war zones or, or places where, you know, really heinous stuff happens, they, they probably did the same thing I did. And you're just like, this is the way the world works. Okay. How do I deal with it? And, um, it wasn't until much, I got much older. I looked back and it was like, wow, what, you know, <laughs> that was a fairly heavy thing to be dealing with, um, as a, as a kid, but it, as a kid, they're, they're the masters of just accepting what is and, and then trying to figure out how to deal with it. And, uh, and so I did. I met a, an older guy that was big in the climbing community in the seventies here in, in the Rockies. And he said that, ice climbing i think he lost something like 20 of his friends in the 70s and because i asked him like why did you give up ice climbing and he said well you know kind of all my climbing partners passed away and i think in some ways that was just the reality of of the sport back then yeah and it wasn't just ice climbing it was it was it was alpine climbing and and everything else but um and you know i know several older people who have quit all forms of climbing just because they they don't want to deal with the carnage anymore and i so i I empathize with your your friend i get it um for me it i think it it was it was a good a good if harsh lesson in in the way the world works it's like this is the these are the stakes and you're playing in a high stakes game so you know get good at it (laughs) well and (laughs) and obviously you have um so i you mentioned as a teenager i'd be kind of interested to know what kind of insights you maybe had in that time frame, that maybe 12 to kind of 18 period, what kind of insights did you have in that period that have maybe contributed to your success or led you to where you are now? Well, I think a big one was that I did really love being out in the mountains. Like I, I really loved it. And it was, I found it in a very, very interesting environment. 
And as a somewhat rebellious teenager, not somewhat, <laughs> you know, like dramatically rebellious, I, I love the fact that in the mountains, the rules weren't arbitrary. They were, they were straight up. It's like, well, you, you know, it's not like this is okay if you do this, but not, you know, it's like rocks don't argue with you. They just are, man. And yeah. I, I love that. It was really, really straight up and it was a meritocracy and that it, it really rewarded um, performance and, and punished arrogance and, and non-competence harshly. And it, it required being both humble and that you weren't trying to do things that were inappropriate or, or you lacked competency to do, but also um, confident enough to, to go and say, right, I'm going to do this and, and then get out there and, and try. So for me as a teenager, I think a lot of, especially teenage boys, they need stuff that's real, that matters. And when you're out there in the mountains, it's like, yeah, this is this is real. You know, the sun's coming up and rocks are going to start falling. So you know, how are we going to get our? It's not like get out of school and go do your homework. It's like you, you're pretty motivated to make good decisions and to and to understand. That's the thing that's always driven me in anything in my life is to try and understand how things work and why. And if they're interesting enough, I'll do them. And if they're not, I I tend to go ADD and and you know, there you go, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know a lot of that is are lessons that I use I've used throughout my life a, a belief that I can learn how to understand things and and new things and you know been through a bunch of different businesses and things in the years since then and uh, and that desire and, and interest to figure things out um, I really I think I really got some confidence learning that in the mountains and then applying that in other areas of life but yeah mountains are great teachers if you are an arrogant ass to let you know right away. <laughs> How have you applied that that feedback loop to the rest of your life? You mentioned that in the mountains they're a great teacher, but you've obviously done so many different things across so many di- different disciplines. Does that translate to other areas of your life? Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to try. Those skills that I learned in the mountains and, and some confidence in trying new things did translate in my in my 20s and mid twenties to late twenties where I was publishing magazines and doing qualitative market research and a more normal professional side of things. It involved a lot of sales and, and magazine publishing and also a lot of um, just saying, right, well, qualitative market research, I know nothing about this, but Nike has asked me to get together trail runners and now we're going to run focus groups. Well, what's a focus group? Okay, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and it was a successful business and, and worked out well and you know, publishing magazines, none of which are in existence, but at the time they were, they were successful in their niches. And yeah, just having that confidence to try new things is just like, can I climb this mountain? I don't know, but I'll go have a look. And uh, that's a really valuable skill. What were some of those things that you learned in that qualitative market research business that you started? Well, one of the things I learned is that I came out of more of the editorial side of, of magazines. And so I was writing for magazines. That's what I did right out of school. And all of a sudden, I I didn't have enough room in the magazine for all my words. I was the I was the editor of this magazine. I, I walked <laughs> I walked into the guys the head guy's office. I was like, I need more room for for my words. You know, there's there's we you know we run this ad edit ratio, and there's just not enough ads. We got to get some more ads so we can have better stories and better art. And he looked at me. He's like, Right, you're the publisher. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know anything about sales or whatever. He's like, Well, give it a go. And I was like, All right. Well, how does this work? So. It was a, a radical immersion in um, figure out how sales worked and what people needed rather than trying to sell them things, figure out what they needed and then giving it to them. And that's how the whole qualitative market research thing started is 
one of my biggest clients was Nike. They bought um, they bought full page ads in my magazine, and I'm like, we need to know something about trail running. Can you get together trail runners? Yes, I can. And, and you know, it went from there. But that was sales is to me very much learning what people need and then giving it to them and, and doing a good job at that. So, in terms of being a professional athlete now, it's a lot easier for me to walk into a company and, and say, well, what do you need? You know, I don't, I never start a meeting by telling them what I have. I ask them what they need. And, you know, it's, that was an incredibly valuable skill. It's sales are like, they're as important as writing or reading or anything else you do in life to me. You have to be able to, to, to get what done, what you want and figure out what other people want. And then you get together and do something cool. So I, I use those skills every day of my life. Well, when you talk about going into companies like that, and you, you said that you always start off by asking them, what do you need here? What do you find are the most common answers that they give you? Well, I think it does vary from company to company or business to business. When I was working in the in the magazine world, and all of a sudden my job is now to sell ads, I remember walking into this bike bicycle shop and I was like, I've got this magazine. It's the best magazine ever. And, you know, if you buy an ad, it'll drive business into your store and this will be awesome. And, and um, it's only $1,000. And, and yeah, well, here's the contract. And the guy looked at me and he's like, you're an idiot, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was right. <laughs> so at that point, I, I, I smartened up. I was like, well, okay, all right. I'm not doing this right. And, and you know, it's again that having a little bit of humility when and recognizing that what you thought was going to happen is not happening so all right what do you need he's like well you know i I need to get people um more people on on bikes and i have this event and there's nobody at the event how about you write a story about the event and and um how to get on bikes and and i'll buy a, a quarter page ad to start with and i was like all right well that seems to make sense and next thing you know it's years later and we've got a great relationship but that's what taught me to ask people what they need and then figure out, and you know, maybe, maybe I'm in the wrong place if I'm in a, in a, in a, you know, a bolt, a bolt, a business that makes bolts, trying to sell them, you know, advertising in a running bag, a running and triathlon <laughs> sort of magazine. Probably not the right place, and, and I, I'm just going to waste our time. You know, I when I started, I thought sales was like selling snow to, to, to people who live in the Arctic, right? Like I thought yes. that's what sales is. It's not, and and so I, but so when I go in now, and I walk into Red Bull, and I'm like. You know what's what's going on? Like, well, we've, we're trying to do this kind of content or these ideas, and I'm like, all right, that just tells me kind of what their general formats are, and then I pitch an idea, and then they say no, and then I listen <laughs> about what they need, and and most of my projects um, take anywhere from like at least one to up to thirty rejections um, before wow. I get them done, and I just keep going and listening and and. It, there are always things that I want to do, and and I just have to figure out how to make them work for everybody, and and then I get to go do them. <laughs> it is sales one on one. What you listen to, what people want, and give them what they want. And I think that's one of the reasons I've had a, a long career as a pro athlete. You know, I'm 53 years old, and, and uh, I'm still doing this, and and I and I love it. I'm I'm totally fired up on it. But that sales background is is critical to what I do today. What does that rejection process look like? You mentioned that you'll propose an idea and, you know, maybe Red Bull or one of your sponsors comes back and says, no, how do you then iterate on that and come up with a different idea and product? 
Yeah, usually it's not just one. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> it, 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 the beat. The beat down is important. Like it's that's and and it's often you know at my stage in life it's not it's not a it's not the same kind of beat down I got with the bike shop owner when I was early twenties, right? I've I've hopefully learned a little bit from that and I do a bit better job. But it's still it's often still a no that doesn't work. And and sometimes I look at it, I'm like okay that's not the right time and place for that idea. You know they. They don't want that um, type of content. You know, it's a climate change story, and and that's not going to work for the, their budget and their marketing this year. And and that's okay. And but I I I try to never take it personally, but always take it as very very important and listen to it and go, okay, well, my idea doesn't work for these reasons, or how can I make it go farther forward? And um, people are like oh, you should just relax and and be okay with failure for you know sucking sucks and so i'm I'm often not driven by like being the best at something i just hate sucking and um so i try to i try to suck less it's like okay so how could i do a better job with this or or you know maybe my budget's actually too low and they are looking for a bigger project and i can scale this up or, or change it around and, and fit their world and um and then and then go forward but I, I i hate it when it doesn't work and i take it i try to make it, never take it personally and that it's about me but i always try to take it personally and that it didn't work and you know accept responsibility for that radically like everything that happens in my life is my fault pretty much and and then i try to go and do better at the parts that aren't working um whether it's a sales thing or a competition or, or whatever it is you know just suck less <laughs> that's a great motto and you know, I've lived my whole life just in the suck phase. You know, I've never pushed through <laughs> enough to get to the suck less phase. Um, I'm still <laughs> looking forward to that one day. <laughs> you'll get there, man, and maybe you won't. Maybe that's why you'll do some version of you know whatever it is that, that fires you up. It is. I, I don't regard myself as any um, fantastic success. I, I've done some things that have worked out, and I'm super stoked on that. But um, I also see all the failures and. Um, the ways I didn't hit the mark and, and I, I try to use that as fuel. It's a very kind of punk music ethos where it's like, you know, I'm going to do this and, and I'm going to give it a go to the best of my ability and, and uh, I'm going to try. And, it, you know, maybe I'm not the best at it, but I'm, I'm going to figure it out and then I will suck less and, and go forward and um, somewhere along the way have a fair amount of fun doing it. <laughs> what have been some of those things that you've been the most fired up about like you you mentioned that in in kind of that pursuit to suck less you've gone on these great adventures and and had a whole lot of fun with it so i'd be interested just kind of off, off the top of your head or, or just what are some of those adventures that kind of first come to mind when you think back over this really remarkable career that you've had lasting you know 30 years um well there's there's lots i one of the things that I think is important is to is to spend more time looking forward than back. <laughs> you got to look back and figure out what what went right, and that's really important. Is you know is a corollary of the suck less program is to figure out what went right, <laughs> and uh, excuse me, then do better at it. But um, you don't want to just look at a situation, even if it was an abysmal failure, and go what went wrong. It is also in whatever realm I'm working in important to figure out what went right. So you can replicate that, um, but I, 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 I guess so many different things have been interesting, and and the best projects for me have been the ones where I've learned and then grown um, forward out of them. 
so I, I, I do look back, I break things down and go, yeah, that worked well. That didn't work well. You know, I spent a lot of time doing that, but, um, at a certain point you've got to just go forward. So I, I, I don't spend a lot of time looking back after a certain point, um, unless I'm in that environment again, then I, I look at my notes and my training log or whatever and go, okay, that didn't work last time. Don't do that. Okay. This let's try this and, and go forward. But I mean, so many different great, you know, I've been really lucky to have good adventures in three or four different sports in my life, you know, from paragliding across the U S to, to climbing Niagara falls to, I just got back from Africa right before the whole, um, Corona thing hit. And, uh, we did a really interesting project there. Greenland was the year before that and, and working on, uh, how meltwater on the Greenland ice cap or ice sheet, you're always reading about this, right? Like Greenland's mm -hmm. melting. So I went there to do a project with a really smart guy. He's a scientist. He's the top, um, glacial hydrologist sort of thinker out there right now, Jason Gully, amazing guy. And we learned a lot about how the Greenland ice sheet works and how that meltwater goes underneath the ice and that there's a paper being submitted to various journals that came out of that. And uh, I'm really satisfied with that project because we did add to the knowledge of how these um, meltwater features on the ice sheet work. And, and it was really different than people thought they were. Um, and then the project in Africa that I just came back from was really cool. We were helping a, uh, helping a, a, a scientist do climate research on top of Kilimanjaro. And he's got a continuous record for a couple of decades about how the climate is changing on top of Kilimanjaro. And uh, got to do some great ice climbing as well, but also help him with that research and then fly a paraglider off the top of Kilimanjaro at right around 6,000 meters and then, uh, <laughs> uh, and then land right on the, on like in the, the, you know, the, the relative jungle of, of Tanzania at a very low altitude, drop 5,000 meters or so in the course of an hour and launch wow. mine. It. Just so cool. You know, like, <laughs> um, I've, I've been really like ice climbing in China. It's just, it's been a great ride and, and it's, um, I'm really lucky to have had it for as long as I have and still be pretty healthy. And, uh, yeah, that's, but going forward again, it's it's the next projects, and right now it looks like, as all of us are, we've got to adapt to our very very changed world. And um, I'm looking much more locally, but keeping my eyes out. I'm still working on a project in, in Antarctica, Antarctica, and we'll see how that goes. And yeah, but I don't know. Look forward, do cool things. <laughs> Can you speak, Will, about how you've changed your maybe mindset during the coronavirus, or how have you kind of stayed resilient during this time? Because like, I think it's hard on everybody, but for somebody whose livelihood is based on adventure and whose passion resides in the mountains and on exploration, how has this impacted you and, and what have you done and what can we do? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think the immediate thing that I, I you know, I, I was in, I was in Africa when all this started and wow. I've been paying attention to the news on the way in, but then I was on the mountain for two weeks with very little comms. And working really hard on, on a big production, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 18 hours a day. I just don't have time. There's not much comms up there to begin with, and then I'm so focused on the project. But I, as I get down, as soon as I land, my phone lights up in, in Tanzania, and I'm like, okay, the world's obviously changing. And what I've learned over and over on expeditions is that you, you have to adapt to where you are. And normally after an expedition, you spend um, a couple of days where you break things down and socialize and, and just kind of debrief. And, and that's, that's the program. But, you know, I immediately looked at it. I was like, I do not want to get stuck behind a closed border in 
Tanzania, a long way from home yeah. in this situation. So we flew out at five o'clock the next morning. And, wow. you know, in retrospect, maybe that was a little aggressive, you know, things didn't close down for a lot longer after that. But there's so many unknown unknowns. And I would rather have a margin on the positive side than on the negative side. If I've been like, ah, it's no problem. The border, border's all closed down and the flight's canceled. And um, I was stuck in Tanzania, which is a, a beautiful country and I absolutely love it. But I, it's not where I want to be during a, a pandemic where I don't, you know, where I don't know people. <laughs> it's not in my top 10. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe they're going to do great, but I don't have any resources or contacts there. And, and uh, so change and, and adapt to what is, and that's what you do in, in all mountain sports. And hopefully we all do in any high consequence environment is go, okay, what's going on here? And um, do I, do I even know enough to make a good judgment? And I don't know enough about coronavirus or COVID or, you know, any of the, any of the, I just, that's not my world. So I don't know enough. And so I need to be conservative and, and get everybody out. So we did. And uh, that was the first thing is just adapt to what it is and, and try to have a good margin. And I got home and it was like, okay, this isn't so bad. Things are seemed okay for the first week or so at home. And, and, uh, and now obviously things are changing very rapidly. And uh, my, my job as a speaker, although, you know, initially looked like that was done. My job as a pro athlete, pretty hard to do when you can't travel. And as a guide, I, I still do, you know, a fair amount of guiding of one form or another. There's no tourists coming. So <laughs> three of the major parts of my job are, are done, right? And so what I try to do with all of those is, is again, same lesson. What's going on? What is actually happening here? And, and how do I adapt to it? Rather than thinking about when it's going to return to normal. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's ever going back to normal, but I do know that um, personally, I don't want to be in rooms with a lot of people probably for some time to come and, and why would anybody else so how do i do my speaking business and you know i just did a commencement a commencement talk for a university in, in the u.s and it went really well and i've done two other ones um, and there's actually a lot you could do with that format and it's cool so i'm, I'm trying to adapt to that and i'm doing more writing and um doing some online uh coaching stuff for for a couple of my sports so I can do that. And I've, I've also got a little business software business doing um, a couple of different um, apps and so on. So I'm, I'm putting more energy into that and, and, I, and it's exciting. It's, um, you know, it's not making a ton of cash yet, but uh, mm-hmm. it, I don't, you know, I've cut my operating expenses to use a corporate word really, uh, <laughs> really low. <man. laughs> and, and, and it'll be okay. My family will be okay through this. And I think that's, you know, we'll see what the uh, log term looks like, but I'm just trying to adapt what is and also stay out of the way of the people, um, you know, such as yourself that are, are, are actually on the front lines of this. So I did stop all my, what I, what I would call higher risk sports. I wasn't going climbing. I wasn't going flying. And even though the mountains were still, I could do that. I, I just, I don't want to be part of the problem. And if, if I can't understand it well enough to solve it, I could at least get out of the way. So I'm, I'm trying, trying to do that for people who are there and, you know, use what voice I have to encourage people to make good decisions in the mountains, especially in this time. And yeah, and it's, I'm actually pretty excited. Like it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not easy, you know, <laughs> but it's, it, things are working out and I, I see that there are better treatments for and therapies for this, um, 
we know more about COVID. Like I read every day about it and I'm like, okay, we're figuring this out. There's, you know, there's some weird things going on. Initially I was like, no big thing. You know, it's just a really bad form of the flu. And like, well, now I've had enough friends go through it where I'm like, yeah, there's some issues with strokes and clotting and young people. And a couple of my friends, you know, like a couple of my friends who had it have had like um, lung issues, eight, eight, nine, 10 weeks out from getting it now because they were some of the first people who got it. Um, And they're guides. It went to the guiding community because there are international people stuffed into small rooms together in huts and and they got hit hard. And some of them have had, you know, repercussions. So now I know, well, I really don't want to get it. You know, I do want to, I do want to wait and then i'm also shopping for a couple people in my neighborhood that are older and my parents are older and i'm shopping for them so i'm like all right you know what how does this work and and that's a uh, full-time job yeah there's a lot (laughs) (laughs) their lists are pretty simple it's it's not a big thing but it's again it's like i don't if i can't solve the problem i at least want to like help how i can stay out of the way and then get some time to understand it better and adapt and what can i do for my business and and you know, what can I teach my kids, you know, and learn with my kids? They don't, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't really understand this any better or any worse than I do. We're just trying to figure it out and, and go for, you know, what can we do with what we have right here, right now, as a, as a friend of mine um, used to say, it's just a great expression rather than going, what can't we do? It's like, what can we do? And, and uh, that's where I'm at. That's a great lesson. And, and well, one thing that I've noticed um, as an outsider, kind of watching what you've been saying on, um, social media and, and through your platforms is I've, I've really admired the messages that you've been putting out there for caution and for respect for those um, first responders that if something happened out there that they would be responsible for coming to save you and 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 your post just kind of urging some caution and so I admire the yeah the foresight and the thought that you've put into this even though it's obviously directly impacted you yeah, it's. I mean, directly impacting me, I can't go climbing. It's. It's. it's <laughs> when you look at it that way, it's not. You know, somebody who's like, especially with it was just starting, we didn't know how big it was going to go here in Alberta, where yeah. we where we live. We didn't know, and you know, if if I think you know, I'm all about personal libertarian liberty, and I'm somewhat of a libertarian in some ways, mm-hmm. um, cautiously using that word, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of that is, is you know, not messing things up for other people and, and respecting people like yourself who are involved in this. And, and just we can wait a bit to go out there and do that. And I think that's I'm not looking for some kind of like, you know, there were people who are still climbing and skiing and, and that's great. But if everybody's doing that, then it's a problem for my friends who are on search and rescue. You know, they've got a mask and gown up now on calls. So they've got to land the machine, get out mask and gown up, you know, and face shield up <laughs> and then go and, and work on trauma, you know, so it's an extra step and, and it's really stressful for them. And then if anybody gets into the machine, they've got to disinfect the machine, you know, and I'm just looking at this and going, okay, I don't, I don't want to be part of that. And and um, now, now there is capacity in the ER and, you know, my friends are like, stop saying that, you know, <laughs> it's just, we, can, <laughs> we can deal. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not urging people to hurt themselves, but, uh, it, you know, the, our ERs and ICUs right now currently do not seem to be overwhelmed. And if it spikes again, then, then I think we should throttle back and, yeah. and do, do try to involve, really, really try not to involve um, SAR and other people right now who are, these are not, you know, they're not 
it's very hard for them to work in their environments with the PPE and so on. So just, just taking it easy and, and trying to be respectful of that. But um, yeah, it's a, everybody's got to make their own decisions. I, I really don't want to tell anybody. It just tried to explain my viewpoint and hopefully that makes sense to people. Yeah, I, I think it does. And I think you've done a great job with it. Um, you mentioned at one point there, Will, that you talked about kind of risk mitigation and recognizing the unknown unknown. So the things that we don't know uh, can be risks for us. I'd be interested as a climber, can you talk about that challenge with identifying unknown unknowns? And what does your process look like? Yeah, this is this is really complicated, <laughs> which is great. It's really interesting, right? But it, it's sort of simple in a way. Is I try I try in every environment I'm in to realistically determine how competent I am in that environment. And for example, with COVID, I'm I'm not competent. I have no idea. I'm not a virologist, or you know, I don't even know if that's a word. Is a virologist? <laughs> I can't spell it. <laughs> yeah. So, or an epidemiologist, or you know, I don't know anything about this. So my competency is pretty low. I'm going to listen to people who are very good at this. Um, and I do the same thing in the mountains. When I walk into a new mountain range, I'm like, okay, I've spent a lot of time in the mountains, but these are different. Um, if I'm in the Andes, I'm like, okay, I've put some time in the Andes, but their weather is different, their winds are different, their snowpack's different, their geology is different. All these things are, I'm not an expert in this range. I can probably climb most of what I want to climb, but I, I don't have the bigger picture. So I try to, again, base my confidence off my competence and in very high consequence environments, um, be very respectful of not understanding the game and realizing that there are a lot of things I don't know. You know, if it's a, if you're going to walk into Vegas and bet the house, you want to probably do that at a game you're good at and understand very well, <laughs> <laughs> I would guess, um, yeah. personally. Um, so if, if it's like, if I'm there and I've, I've got my $100 and I'm in Vegas, yeah, I, I, I'm, I can give my $100 to somebody at a poker table. It's not going to make or break the bank. But if it's my house deed on the line, that's high consequence. And if it's my life on the line, then I probably don't want to enter into that game. And, and I try to do that in all my sports and, and throughout life is just recognize, hey, do I know anything about this? I'm in Africa. There's this weird new virus thing that's happening mm -hmm. and airports are getting shut down. I don't know anything about this. So the most cautious thing is to get to a place where I have resources and can make better decisions. And I, I just, you know, there's these principles that I run by and, and that's one of them is to, you know, the biggest one is to really, really honestly assess do i even know what's going on here you can't mitigate risk if you can't recognize it and um and then can i actually mitigate it and you know if i can't then i probably don't want to play the game and uh you know the more unknowns unknowns there are the less i like it <laughs> well the more i like it because it's really interesting you got to figure <laughs> it out but the less i'm willing to gamble with will you mentioned principles can you Talk about that. What do you mean by principles? Well, when you're dealing with, you could call, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could look at principles, but um, you know, it's a pretty flexible word, really, I guess, for me anyhow. But um, one of them is to try to see things as they are as quickly as I can. And if I can't figure it out at all, or I get, usually you get a reminder or two in whatever you're doing in life that you don't actually understand this and to back it down. Or maybe it's like, yep, I actually do understand this pretty well and, and um, I've put all my time into it and I'm gonna try to do something at a high level and now I'm gonna go for it. So that, 
it's an old Buddhist idea of just seeing things as they are and trying not to let your ego interfere with that and trying not to let your your, your prior um, expectations. Yeah, your biases. Um, yeah, exactly. Trying to understand it. So just understand it and, and uh, be respectful of that. So I think that's, that's one of them that I, I really try to live by. And then another one is to um, be be positive about going out and trying new things, whether it's a business or a relationship, you know, make that call, get that date, but (laughs) (laughs) be optimistic about that. But um, also really try and, uh, you know, and if it's, again, as the consequences go up, try and apply more and more. um, You know, I joke about it. I call it the positive power of negative thinking, but it's, it's, it's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty important to me, you know, it's, it's to get in there and, and uh, figure out all the things that are going to go wrong. And, you know, that helps me in whatever I do. I try to scenario plan and and think about everything that's going to go wrong. And the higher the stakes are, the more time I spend doing that. And people like, oh, you're not being very positive. It's like, yeah, well, all the people who are positive, they're out of business or dead. Yes. So um, <laughs> we're, all, we're all positive, you know, in, in outdoor sports or business. We're like, we're going to start this thing and go after it. And it's going to be awesome. It's like, we're already pathologically optimistic in this expectation that we can do this. So let's, let's figure out how it can go wrong and why. And that'll give us a better understanding of it. And, and I, that saved my life a lot in the mountains. And, you know, if I have any small amount of money left by day but it's, it's for the same reasons it's like okay how is this going to work and, and is it reasonable and then try to do a good job with it but uh not just go yeah send it dude you've got this this is this is not good <laughs> good planning <laughs> or risk management so those are, those are a couple i work with and how have you developed those principles like is that through failure i know you've you've spoken a lot about how the mountains have taught you through failure or through challenge or resistance but generally, would you say that those principles have kind of been founded through adversity or through success? Both. You know, it's it's when I look at again, and I do that sort of post mortem on on things in life. You know, I sit in my basement with a with the blinds drawn and drink coffee and figure out why I sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, and how to suck less. Yeah. <laughs> principle number three of the random of the random list, but uh, um, it it it, it is. Um, a really honest look at why things worked and, and didn't work. And then also when things have succeeded really well, why did they succeed? Well, you know, I won that event. Why, why did I win that event when I went in there and in some ways I was less prepared? Why did I win? Or, you know, I prepared very thoroughly for this event and, and I got my, you know, um, I got my butt handed to me. Why, why did it go that way? Well, I was preparing for the wrong thing. So I will go at it this way in the future. And, and, uh, over and over again, those things rise to the surface. Did I actually get rid of my, um, it, or listen to what actually was versus walking in there and trying to tell the situation, um, how it was going to be, whether it's, it's sales of the mountains, you, you, you listen to it and then you figure out what's going on. And, uh, you know, so a little bit of both, what worked, what didn't, and, and just examining that and being willing to sit there and, and put the time in. What about with your with your kids? How do you teach them to deal with risk and, and how to think about it? Because really what I'm trying to say is that treat me like a 10-year-old here and <laughs> walk me through that process. Well, it started even earlier than that, you know. It's oh, a, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 
fortunately and unfortunately my my kids you know they're they're awesome they're great kids and and um fortunately or unfortunately they are a lot like me and so very early on out in the mountains you know i'm I'm taking them hiking and and out out there in real environments and i'm not taking them into super high consequence environments hopefully i don't think that's appropriate for for kids but um you know they're out there and, and i did have to come up with some you know the, the younger one in particular she's like see it you know do it and Mm-hmm. Um, and the older one as well. And so we had to kind of come up with a system for recognizing a hazard and then figuring out what we were going to do about it. And I would just ask them questions and be like, okay, so um, what do you see here? And they'd be like, well, you know, you could fall off this trail here and, you know, nothing bad would happen. So it's all, it's all good, dad. And um, we came up with this three level system. So we're out there in the mountains and, and I, usually they'll, they'll recognize hazards, but if they don't, I'll ask them, Hey, what's, what's going on here? And they'll be like, Oh dad, you know, we're, we're bumps and bruises level. <laughs> it's like, you, you don't worry about it. We got this. And, and, and I'll be like, okay, so do we need to do anything to manage this situation or is it just good to go? And they're like, dad's bumps and bruises. I'm good with it. Let's give her, you know, don't worry about dad. I'm like, okay. And then we'll be out in the mountains and, and maybe there's a drop off or like today we were out and there was a slab that led down to a pool and um, we're going up this little canyon and the, 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 the younger one is like, okay, you know, I'm going to go up the slab and I'm like, all right, what's going to happen if it goes bad? You know, and she's like, well, it's not hospital. It's like bumps and bruises. And that's the next level. You know, if something can go bad, is it, is it hospital level? And um, okay, what are we going to do about that? She's like, well, I'd slide into the pool and I'd get wet. And I was like, okay, well, it's pretty cold out. Is that going to work out? And she's like, yeah, we're close to the car. We're good. Don't worry about it, dad. I'm like, all right. Wow. But if it were more hazardous, she might be like, okay. And, I, and I'm okay with her sliding into that pool. That's, that's if she's going to slide into the pool and get wet because she's made that judgment, then, you know, that's fine. And if I look at it and it's more hazardous, then we'll have a talk about it. But she's pretty good at judging things. And, uh, and then we'll be out someplace maybe where, you know, we'll be at the top of a big cliff or something. And, and, um, I'll be like, okay, you know, what's going on here? And, and, um, they'll look at me and be like, dad, that's death. You fall <laughs> off of that. It's over, you know? <laughs> and, uh, or we're like in downtown Calgary, you know, pre pre COVID where it's like mayhem. And if I lose track of them and they run into the street, you know, like what's going to happen, they're going to get run over. So they have to be able to recognize that and then say, okay, dad, I'm going to hold your hand. You know, we're going to really stop before we cross any streets. And, and it's just that same program, mitigation, you know, recognition, mitigation, recognition, mitigation, and bumps and bruises, hospital death. Those are the three levels we run. And um, it works. It's, it's a really good tool for empowering them to look at the world and make decisions and they apply it to other situations. And then, you know, beyond just me being there if we're if i hope that when my kids are older and maybe she's 16 and she's contemplating getting into a car with a guy that's had a few beers she's like yeah this is a potential death situation i'm out and that's all we're trying to do with our kids is get them to survive to adulthood and to become functional adults and and do a good job in life and recognize hazards and mitigate them so that's the system we use and, and uh, honestly it's, it's mainly driven by the kids more than me it was like they figured these levels out <laughs> and they use wow. them and it's uh it's been great it's worked really well mostly but they haven't copyrighted them yet so this is your chance to <laughs> it freely 
Uh, I'd have to give him a royalty or something. Oh, it, was, yeah. <laughs> it was funny. I gave, I gave a talk for a, a big hospital in Vancouver uh, a year or so ago. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the nurses there was like, oh, yeah, we use that in our triage all the time. <laughs> is, this person, is this person here for bumps and bruises, you know, is it, or is it like they really need to be admitted now? Or, yeah. or is it, uh, is it like call the call the crash card? You know? <laughs> like, uh, I, and I love that. I thought that I was like, I was like, I did a little bit of good there. And, and, yeah. uh, really appreciated her telling me that. Oh, that's nice. Have you been surprised out there in the mountains? Like, I, I get the sense from you that you're so well prepared that you think ahead and you're planning things out. Do you still get surprised? Oh, pretty much every time I go out, is I'm surprised. I think, um, yeah, that's. You know, today we had this idea to go someplace we hadn't been before and we showed up and there's a little more water that I thought was going to be there because, hey, surprise, it's spring, dumbass. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, there wasn't that much water and we could make it work. But yeah, I think that's what's a great thing about the mountains and and really life is that it's always surprising and trying to figure out why and file that away it's like even though it's been relatively cold it was warm enough last night now okay the water's up a little bit and you know just yeah i'm surprised all the time and then taking that information and doing something positive with it is uh is what it's all about turning a bit to mindset here will um i i think i'm probably the worst climber in canada probably generally Um, and one thing that I've really noticed through climbing is how much it teaches a person about life and about mental strength and, and weakness and how to deal with challenge and opportunity. And so I'd be interested to hear from a professional like you about your resilience, because I'm sure you've run into fear before and, and how do you stay resilient with that? Well, there's a lot of layers to that. And, and first of all, we're all the worst climber in some way. You know, there, there are a lot of climbers in the world that are just way, way, way better than me. And, um, and, and that's, that's just how it is, you know, unless you're the one person who is the best that day at, you know, in a competition or whatever, we're all not that good. So it's okay to, for me, that's okay. Like, and that's, what's cool about it. You just climbing, you can find your own level of challenge or any of these sports really hiking. You're like, ah, you know, I hiked up the hill. I'm going to hike up the hill twice. I'm going to hike up the hill. I'm going to hike up a mountain. You know, you you can always find that challenge. And that's, what's cool is that challenge and and getting involved with it for me. Anyhow, like, I'm sure you like Mm -hmm. your climbing. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah. I didn't do that. And then a week later you figure out how to do it. It's like, this is great. The best thing ever. (laughs) And, and that process of overcoming is you can look at it as resilience or you can look at it as having some sort of goal and, probably you go climbing with other people too i'm gonna guess yeah yeah so you got a you got a team right and and over and over again when i see people who are resilient and in my own life it's it's usually about those two things do you have a goal and do you have a good team and if you have those two things then resilience is kind of built in um and you know this has been it's been some great research i always i'm always reading research about people in amazing situations and how they survived and why or what they did to get better. And over and over again, it's like they have a goal. They do want to survive and then they want the people on their team to survive and they're helping um, that team move forward. And then they get through amazing things, whether they're lost at sea for 180 days and, and you know, Shackleton sailing across and, you know, these greatest adventure stories of our time, you know, they, they, they always have that element. Do you have a goal? 
And do you have a team? And sometimes people are solo, um, but even in that situation, they're often trying to get back for their families or, or you know, children or, or whatever, and, uh, and they make it happen. So when people give up, it's usually because they don't have a goal, whatever it is, um, some kind of goal to motivate them. Whether for me it's just to suck less, or for them it's to like you know get through like that's off my goal. It's like well I failed at that again. I'm just gonna try again and I'll suck less. That's my goal. And then my training partner is like, dude, that sucked. You got to do better. You um, didn't hit the goal. Yeah. So how did how does that work? And why didn't I hit the goal? And then get better. And then fear is a natural part of that. But again, it goes. It you know often I'm I, I think probably I operate with more fear than. Um, many of the other people I know in my world, that's for sure. Um, but that's what's kept me alive. And it also drives me to really look at things. And, and if I'm afraid, it's like, well, what haven't you thought about? What don't you understand here? And usually if I spend the time to chew into those things, then I come out the other side with a, a better understanding of them. And hey, look at that. My fear has been reduced and I'm closer to my goal. And if I'm leading a team, then the people on the team see that too. It's like, oh, wow, he thought of that. And he actually knows what he's doing. And I'll, I'll keep following him <laughs> versus, wow, he, he doesn't have a sniff what's going on. And, uh, and I'm out. <laughs> um, and then the team's resilient. They're like, yeah, we're all of this together. And, you know, a lot of the people I take on my trips, you know, they're in heinous conditions. They're filming in, in horrible places with, you know, um, really tough conditions. You know, if they were just there for the money, they, they'd bail. Um, I certainly would, but it's, we're having a cool adventure together. We've got a goal, which is to make a film about this project or idea or whatever. We're all there. And, and, uh, so we'll, we'll put up with a lot because none of us want to let the other people on the team down. So those are some thoughts on resilience. Anyhow, if that make, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Yeah, it does. And, and I'd be interested to touch on the fear component because I think those of us that look from the outside at folks of your stature and level, I think a lot of us assume that people like you don't have fear. Um, so do you still get scared climbing on a day-to-day basis? Is that a routine activity for you? Yeah. You know, I often get people as a guide that come up and say, well, I'm really afraid of heights, you know, and they're, they're quite convinced this is going to be a real problem for climbing. Mm-hmm. And, and what I like to point out to them is, is that, you know, the reason they're there is that their ancestors had that fear of heights, right? <laughs> <laughs> Like all their ancestors that didn't have that fear of heights are like, Joey, watch this. I'm going to run along the cliff here. You know, they <laughs> over and, and didn't reproduce, right? Like it's yeah. so um, it, that, that fear is a pretty good thing. Like it, it's probably there for a reason, especially for the elemental things like cliffs and, and snakes. And there's a few others that babies have that are, that are hardwired into us. But um, yeah, you, you got to have that fear. And for me, I have a lot of it. And, and I, I used to really dislike that in myself like oh how come you're afraid you know it's like i remember being a a young kid junior high school and jumping my bmx bike and um you know i wouldn't hit the biggest jumps right away i'd be like oh man i don't know like i could fall on my head or whatever like i'm mm-hmm. really afraid of that and, and i had fallen on my head and i was like well, okay well let's just go off the little jump a thousand times and then i'm like all right now i'm ready for the bigger jump and i want to do it rather than just going off the bigger jump and and trying to conquer that fear that's that's really a bad idea what what i what we're after here at least for me is competence it's like can you go off that big jump and and stick it and it's very high consequence if you don't get that right and you know this is kind of a looping back into it a bit but that 
setting up your your actions by consequences really really important and so when it's very high consequence again don't bet the house in vegas on a game you don't understand you know um and that that's fear that tells me that and and i listen to it and if i'm out climbing i'm always a bit like wow i'm really high off the ground that has never gone away it's always yeah. there i look down and i'm like man that's a long way i don't want to fall off here and i'm like well do i have enough gear in like if i did fall off would it be fatal? And if it is fatal, do I really, really want to be there for starters? It's very, very high consequence. Or can I manage that in some way with my rope and my equipment and my PPE and, and all the other pieces that, that go together to where it's reasonable? And if so, then I'll then I'll like, okay, fear, you know, we, we've actually got this. We're good here. And fear is like, all right, we, you know, we strike a deal. But just overcoming that fear to overcome fear is very seldom worked out for most people I've seen in any sort of high consequence environment. You know, again, like you're afraid of calling the calling the person up for a date or whatever. Like, take the chance, man. The consequences are low. <laughs> Go for it. Overcome your fear all day long. Right on. More the power to you. But in terms of like high consequence stuff, if that fear is there, probably means you haven't done the work to be in that position with a high level of uh, of confidence and competence. Specific to climbing, Will, do you have any advice for the climbers that may be listening that want to feel more confident either in the alpine or just sport climbing, for example? Do you have any recommendations? Again, it's gaining that real knowledge and, and deep understanding of what's going on. And so if you feel afraid, you got to stop rather than going, I shall overcome and, and pushing forward. <laughs> that, you know, like short term, that may work, but long term, it's, it's not going anywhere good. And so breaking it down, if you're rock climbing, it's like, okay, why am I afraid? Well, my gear is 30 feet below me and the rock's kind of loose. And if I break this hold, I'm going to fall off and hit that ledge 60 feet down. And okay, maybe you don't want to be there. Or if you do, you've got to recognize it's really, really high consequence. And if you're psyched to be in that place where that particular pitch of climbing or whatever is worth it, then right on, you've made the decision. You understand the consequences and the outcomes. Go for it. Like, that's great. And you know, if you break your legs and spend a month in a hospital, you thought about it and you made the decision, right? You, you can't, I'll, I'll come visit you, but I'm not going to have a lot of sympathy. Um, yeah, yeah. Honestly, you know, like oh, yeah, I'll bring, bring magazines or whatever. And, you know, I, I do have sympathy, empathy and compassion, but, but honestly, you made the decision. But the person who is like, I'm overcoming my fear and hasn't actually thought it through, that's not good. And that would be in some ways kind of a tragedy if you don't understand the situation that you're in and and pound in hard um that's too you know that is too bad so if you feel that fear stop and listen to it and, and um figure it out you know and i in my guiding i often have people who are really afraid and if i say oh just overcome it you know maybe it's a military guy and i'm like get over it come on soldier fuck up you know they never changes anything <laughs> they're locked down they're not they're not going anywhere right <laughs> If <laughs> so I'm like, all right, what's going on? You know, you're lying there on a 45 degree dirt slope. You're not, you know, you cannot fall off, um, but they think they can. So I'm like, okay, can you move your hand? And they're like, okay, I can move my hand. No, man, I'm not moving my hand. That's cool. We'll just sit here for a bit until you get on that program. But, you know, eventually they, they work through it, but they have to understand that they're not in lethal danger, or maybe they are, and, and figuring out how to deal with that. And nobody ever performs better, like, on a scary lead than they did on in practice, you know, and 
some of the military stuff that I do, you, you don't perform better in combat than you did in training. And in rock climbing, you don't perform better when it's like the real deal than you did in your training either. <laughs> so, you know, gain those skills, gain that competence, listen to your fear. And if it's not right, um, you know, back it down. And then one final quick thought on that is that not all climbing is the same. If you feel a little fear sport climbing, it's probably not the end of the world. But if you're out there in the alpine environment, which is endlessly complex, and you know, as, as Reinhold Messner, I did an interview with Reinhold Messner last fall, as he pointed out, about half the climbers at a, at a you know, who go who go climbing a lot in the alpine end up getting killed. So it's it's a very very high stakes environment if you're out there, and and it takes a lot of knowledge and a lot of training, and you you probably should be um more afraid in that environment than than in a relatively safe you know climbing in the gym and it's all peachy happy people still get messed up in the gym but they don't die very often whereas in the alpine they do so maybe listening to more of that fear but if you're using the same program that you use when you feel a little scared climbing you know and you're clipping bolts in the sun you're like i'm a little sketched out here i'll push through it that may work but if you do that in alpine climbing it's not going to work and going back to my childhood, you know, it just, it, it'll, it'll, it will bite you. It's a super complicated environment. So realize that not all climbing has the same consequence level um, all the time and, and choose where you want to be on that kind of spectrum carefully. I think one theme that's kind of run through this whole episode and, and your life more generally is this focus on the environment. And I know that you've, of course, been elected to uh, be a mountain hero by the UN. And I think that role is all about ensuring sustainability. And, and so I'd be interested to hear from your perspective, has that been a difficult journey fighting that battle? Um, well, I didn't really set out to fight that battle. You know, it's just um, as, as a kid growing up, pretty quickly started to figure out that um, the maps I was using in the mountains were not accurate. Glaciers were not where they said they were on the map. <laughs> and again, as a kid, I was just kind of like, oh, well, shitty cartographers moving on here. Um, and uh, that's what you do, right? Like, oh, that's how it is. And um, so as I got older, I sort of realized, well, wait a minute, you know, even the more recent maps are, are wrong. And even the Google satellite image from, from three years ago is, is you know, an error and, and started to think about this and be like, why is this happening and what's going on? And um, as I've dug more and more into it, it's becoming very, very clear that, that, uh, climate change is, is not a theory. Like I have whole glaciers that are missing. It's not a theoretical yeah. glacier that went missing. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and it happened very, very quickly. And I, you know, I hang out with these glaciologists and, and work on these projects. And these are not like, you know, in, employed by like big enviro to, you know, they're, they're very boring people that are like, well, you know, the temperatures have risen 0.017 degrees over this time frame. And, you know, by that time I've sort of fallen asleep, but what they're saying is my glacier is disappearing. And so I'm, I'm trying to, again, pay attention to what is, um, I'm a big fan of, of energy. I use a lot of it. My house is warm right now, thanks to it. And I'm pretty stoked on that. Hmm. Um, I, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not a rapidly, you know, I'm just trying to understand it and show people what's happening in, in a way that makes sense and then take choices in my own life that, um, you know, will be reasonable. And, and again, it's not like shut the energy down. You know, I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm just not in that camp. You know, I'm, I recognize where, I, where 
I live and the quality of my life has come from having abundant um, energy, which we used to think was relatively low consequence. <laughs> you know, I, I get in a jet, like I fly over a hundred thousand miles a year and I'm cutting that back radically because I, it is not sustainable, but I'm, I'm not going to lecture people on their lifestyles given mine. You know, the reason some of my glaciers and ice climbs aren't there in some minute ways because I flew on that jet. And I, I, I just can't be a hypocrite and lecture people on that. But what I can do is, is say, well, this is what I'm seeing. This is what's happening. And how do I want to do things differently? And um, that is what I'm trying to do. You know, I've cut my flying in half in the last couple of years. And I'm still a criminal. I'm going to fly 75, but well, probably not this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, and I used to just get on a jet and I'd be like, my biggest concern on the jet was, was do they have beer? You know, now, now it's like, yeah. okay, actually, what is happening here? What is my contribution? And then your second thought is, do they have beer? Yeah, second thought still, do they have beer? Um, so, yeah, and, and how, how, just trying to get a handle on it. And then also, teaching my kids to adapt you know we're past the point where there is no change and i want them to be able to um look at the world and adapt to what is and and uh hopefully through showing people change you know we just got back from kilimanjaro and in five years um some of the things we climbed were gone others were half the size um that they were five years ago and that's a that's a big deal do you see any positives, Will, in, in your kind of search for understanding in your role? Like, obviously, you, you do so much research and, and you're, you're focused on the environment. Do you see any positives that are coming out of the research or the education that's been made on the environment? Yeah, I see, I see tremendous positives. People around the world are aware that there is a problem and we can disagree heavily on what the solution to that problem is. But I think globally now, um, you know, and I, I've gone in and, and spoken um, and worked either safety stuff or, or other types of, of talks at, at large energy companies in Alberta, their, their management gets it. They're like, yeah, things are changing and long-term um, we're going to have to do something differently. So there's not, there's not a lot of argument that's up or even discussion about that there is a problem. What's exciting is how are we going to deal with it? And um, I'm not a fan of having my house go cold next week because I'm, I'm turning off the heat. <laughs> so, um, but I, I am a fan on going right at a policy level. We do have to encourage um, a different way of looking at this. And how are we going to do that? On a local level, I can fly less. You know, On a personal level, I can fly less. I can try to, to do other things that reduce my, my carbon footprint. Um, and I'm doing that, but it has to be a policy level or at a pretty high level. And then again, I think we all are going to have to adapt. You know, the weather is less predictable. There's some argument about whether or not COVID and, and this whole situation is a result of, of more and more people encroaching more and more on, on wild animals. I, I don't know. I haven't researched that. Um, but it, it does seem to strike a pattern of more weird stuff happening in the world and, we have to pay attention to that and adapt. And, and the positive is that, yeah, we're all going, this is not a really, this is not a good thing right now, obviously. Yeah, it's a, probably a gross understatement. I don't mean to be insensitive. I have friends who've lost family members to this whole situation, but um, there are the, the positives that everybody is thinking about this um, and talking about it. And this virus has shown us to be globally interconnected. 
what happens in China or anywhere in the world ends up everywhere in the world. And we're going to have to deal with it on a, on a global level. And I, you know, we can argue about globalism all day long, but it's really clear we're all in a correct, interconnected now in, in ways we haven't been before. And I hope that gets people thinking about that. We're all just humans trying to make this work. And uh, I hope I hope people look at it and go, yeah, I want to be on the positive side of this, not on the, the isolationist side of it. Uh, well, my hope is that we come out of this coronavirus pandemic with a better understanding, just like you mentioned, that we're all in this together and that really countries from all around the world have to work together to solve some of these big problems. Um, I, I haven't seen that yet, but I'm hopeful that by the end of this, that there will be some kind of international coalition to to stop some of these big issues that are, are, are really hampering our society and our future on this planet. I, I totally agree with you. I hope I hope that that is done in a in a really voluntary and um, cooperative effort, you know. And it's it, I do see some signs of that. You know, initially there's the kind of close close our minds, close our borders, and there's some truth <laughs> to that. You know, there is some truth to that. Like the, the countries that have done a good job of um, localize of keeping. Um, transmission down. You, you got to lock things down. That that is very clear. Whether you're New Zealand or or South Korea or you know the places that have been most successful in dealing with this, you've got to stop um, large gatherings and, and large groups of people traveling around. Um, that is a that is a problem. Um, so there has to be that reaction, I think. But then after that, there has to be okay. We're all in this together, and if we want to keep having a, a planet where we can where we can travel and and share the best of what we do is a is a business wise or, or personally or just go on a vacation to someplace else. You know, winters winters can be pretty vicious in Canada. I'm stoked on going to Hawaii. Or <laughs> so, yeah, on a really on a really tacky note, baby. It's like if that's all that's motivating people is is to have a warm place to vacation to or whatever. Then yeah, we got to figure out how to make this work. But I think more than that, are you know whether it's climate change or this virus, it is a global thing, and and you know we responded to um depletion depleting the ozone layer uh pretty well globally and, and made a real impact there so we we do have good examples of that and i'm i'm optimistic that that we can collectively figure this out in a way that doesn't um destroy our our civil liberties because i'm i'm not really stoked on that either and um i think it can be done it's going to take some smart technology and, and smart people but um yeah. Weirdly, this whole thing has made me optimistic. It's like, okay, here's the club. We're all in this together. Okay. Anybody not get that memo? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, are we, how are we going to go forward? What's it going to look like in a positive way? What's Again, it's like, what are what is happening and, and how do I make sense of it and, and try to do best for my you know small unit of family and my bigger community and then recognizing that we're all in this together, even globally, you know? I'm not going to change my life to just lecture people about it because I don't think that's effective at all. But um, yeah, hopefully people can switch on to that. Well, you spoke about your drive to suck less. And um, I'm, I'm wondering, outside of that drive to suck less, what is motivating you? Like you've had this remarkable career over decades. And how does somebody like you continue to kind of push to the next thing? It, you know, I don't have a really um, like. There's no great principle other than to do interesting things. 
and you know interesting things are cool how does it work well i don't understand how it works so let's break it down let's figure it out what are these parts where do they how do they fit together what are these other things how do i make this happen and um it's a little bit different than passion you know i'm i'm passionate about about um really good uh beer but i'm i'm interested <laughs> uh, but if if i just follow my passion you know that's maybe not the way forward you know that is if i if if i just follow this passion i have for it's actually i, I sort of like bad, uh, pilsners you know it's my type of beer that i like but if i follow my passion for pilsner to its logical conclusion it it is probably not the way forward you know or i'm it's, passionate it's yeah yeah <laughs> um, so anyhow i i don't want to I, I, what I want to do is interesting things. And um, if I pursue that as interests, then it's like, then good things happen. And uh, that's, so that's what I'm trying to do is just what's interesting. Well, maybe I could, you know, go to Antarctica and do this project I have in mind there. And boy, that's complicated. How do I get a team there? And how do we film that? And how do I climb that? Well, what, how does that work now with this pandemic? Is that even, that's interesting. And off we go. So I'll just keep trying to figure out interesting things and and sucking less and it's <laughs> so far it's worked anyhow that's the dream to suck less in antarctica yeah well, there you go you know what what is your favorite beer right now i'd be interested to know you know what i i learned most of what i'm liking right now are are nice um nice pilsners from warm countries and that's kind of where i'm at i i my favorite beer right now is probably this really like Beer lovers all over the world. I'm going to lose all credibility, but there's this stuff called Parodi. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Italian beer called Parodi, and uh, I'm digging it. It's just a great um, – drinks really well, has a, has a nice flavor. It's a, it's a hydration beverage as well. You know, you can have more than one and, and not feel overly full. But, uh, yeah, it varies. Yourself, what's your favorite beer right now? Uh, well, mine is uh, Phillips Blue Buck, and that oh, yeah. is – been a consistent favorite it's based out of victoria and there yeah i could drink it all day without the yeah if there's no side effects i would have it all day what kind of beer is it it's a pilsner there hey i'm in see i just learned I, something new <laughs> well i'm, I'm going to send you a pack and we're also going to link to protein and protein is that how you say it in the show notes I'm in. That sounds great. Cool. I love it. But why don't you come by and drink? You know, we'll drink a six pack, you know, eight feet apart to give ourselves a little margin on the on the deck. And uh, we'll, <laughs> well, we should have recorded the whole interview like that. I think that would have been better. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, then yeah. we could throw it. We could alternate, like you know, your your blue buck and Red Bull, and we'll get the best or worst podcast ever. Yeah, yeah. Worst on my end. Remember, I suck. <laughs> But you just gotta suck less, man. It's it's, it's like follow will. <laughs> the opposite of sucking less is excellence, and that is a transition. So I want to talk about excellence in your career and how you've done it over the decades. What's your secret? Well, again, it's I I, I never I haven't set out to be excellent. Um, it's something that's probably not a very popular answer, but I've never really thought about being excellent but i just want to be as good as i can be you know and i compete a lot so when i show up a, show up at a competition i would always like to win winning's a lot more fun than losing um you know it's, it's way more fun to win so i'm always there to try to win but it's not necessarily about beating the other people or it's just about doing the best i can and when i go into a competition with that attitude then i focus on the things that are important 
and maybe the end result is what other people would define as excellence. I, I win or, you know, whatever, um, do well. And, and I'm happy with that too. But it, it, again, it's about doing the best you can with what you have right there and, and focusing on the things that you can control and, and recognizing what is, you know, it's, I've won some competitions where I actually had pretty smart to say that every competition I've ever won, you know, by any exterior metric, I'm not the best there. You know, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the fastest, but um, maybe I figure out how to play the game a little better on that day for that set of conditions or, or whatever's going on. And, you know, if it's a solo event or my team and I have done that together, if it's a, a team event and, and then we, then we do it and everybody's like, wow, that won an excellent performance. And it's like, well, all, all we did was try to be our best and, and suck less. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I've won competitions and been like, wow, that was really pretty anticlimactic. Um, because from my perspective, I fell well short of where I thought I should be. You know, I did not, I didn't, I went in there and I didn't have any of the critical factors leading up to that competition dialed well, but I just got lucky. It doesn't happen very often. You know, you don't win competitions on lock all that often, but I've done it. Um, and it's always very disappointing and I, I don't feel good about it. And then I've gone in there and I've, you know, hit the podium or sometimes even finished well below that. And I felt like I had the event of my life and I was like, wow, you know, and, and that's much more satisfying to me to, to really execute well and, and know that I really, really did everything I humanly could. However, I was preparing for that event and just doing the best I possibly could than it is to, to win by some sort of fluke or something. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's not very satisfying. So yeah, suck less, work really hard. And maybe excellence is the result of that, but, uh, I don't do very well. Maybe it's my ADD personality, but I don't do very well with the idea of like excellence. I do well with the idea of being the best I can with what I have and, and doing that. Now that's something I can get behind. I'm like, all right, you know, it's a punk attitude. I might suck, but I'm going to suck as little as I can today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're obviously such a, voracious reader and somebody that seeks to understand the world, his surroundings and, and the disciplines that you compete in. And so I'd be interested to know through that, all that reading that you've been doing, maybe not even about your own disciplines, but just generally, what do you, what do you think is the most important thing you've learned in the last year? Probably um, the importance, something I've known for a long time, but things tend to circle back at various points in your life. You're like, oh, I learned that once, now it's time to learn it again in a different way. But our own, our own failability and the importance of error correction, that is, that is something that, you know, I was involved in, a, in, a, in an accident in the mountains um, a spring ago. And I thought it was a good day to be out there. I wasn't guiding that day, but I was part of the team that did the evaluation. And I thought it was, I thought it was a good day to be doing what we were doing. And, and uh, you know, I got it wrong. And it was a very high consequence decision. And it wasn't my decision alone. It was a big, it was a relatively large team of people making it. But just realizing over and over again that we are going to get things wrong and trying to correct those early, those errors as fast as possible um, before the consequences get to be really large. It's a lot easier to fix something early than it is late. And uh, just 
being very, very attuned to that and that possibility and being open to it and then correcting it as, as fast as possible. And in whatever I'm doing, you know, very rarely do I have a day of guiding where I'm like, I nailed that. Everything was perfect. <laughs> I'm like, well, could have been better and, uh, and, and break it down in, in a positive way. But yeah, just that emphasis on circling back to, to error correction and um, being attentive in, in very hot consequence environments over and over again. I think that focus on constantly getting better and, and staying humble is a perfect transition just into our last question here, which is given that you are so self-critical of your, your time in the mountains and, and yourself generally and, and your actions, which is, I think, a, a really incredible trait to have, I'd be interested to know from you, what do you think is something right now that's holding you back from higher levels of success and whatever that success means? It's not just monetary, but whether that's adventure or with your family or broadly through your life, what do you think is holding you back right now? Um, I am, this will sound, this is, may cause people to laugh, but I probably have been too cautious um, at various points in my life. And, you know, I, when I was younger, I, I think, um, and I, I learned the lesson, I tried to be a competitive sport climber, which means sport climbing the gym, really safe bolts, things like that. And, and uh, I did all right. And I was the top, top of my generation in Canada and, and top three in North America, but I couldn't see how to take that com that competitive sport climbing the skill i had and transfer it into the bigger world i think i was too cautious for that i was like oh you could never do that on big walls you know i just i just wasn't willing to to kind of think bigger and um I, you know in some ways I, I wish i'd done more of that in my early 20s in particular with that sport um so i've probably been too cautious about what i what i can actually do on the other hand i'm still alive which is you know great thing to be <laughs> so <laughs> maybe not I, I don't know but if i were to critique my own life i'd say there were times when i could have gambled um more and uh and had different results but i did learn from that and applied that knowledge and when i had an opportunity to try again i i was like all right i'm not blowing this one and went at it but uh i probably left you know 10 20 percent of the table a lot and to me, that's okay. You know, that's maybe I could have had a slightly bigger bank account balance, or um, I'd rather just be slightly more cautious than I think I can be and and get there. But you know, maybe I would have, uh, maybe I would have been the guy to solo El Cap. God, I hope not. You know, like, like <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't know. Maybe I could have been, but yeah, I don't. I, you know, he won an Oscar. I think that's awesome, but uh, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> Did your palms get sweaty watching that or was that just me? I could barely watch it. It was horrifying. You know, I think people who really understand climbing when they watch that film, you know, there's, yeah, I, I know Alex a little bit. I've had, you know, he's on the same, he has a couple of the same sponsors that I do. So I've had a few, and we're talking about Alex Honnold, the guy who free sold at El Capitan. He's just, you know, household name, I think by now, but uh, some people don't know, check him out. Really interesting guy. And I think his approach is, is really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, my, my palms sweat and uh, I had a really hard time watching it just because I, I know that that's not a 99.99% a activity. You know, it's a, maybe it's 93. I don't know what number he would give to it. I'm sure he'd be like, I, that's 100% or actually he wouldn't. He's a pretty realistic guy. But um, 
yeah, for me, it's horrifying to watch that. And, and, uh, yeah, I think anybody who's ever fallen off unexpectedly climbing would watch that film and be like, Ooh, yeah, it's pretty out there, but he did an amazing thing. And he, he I think he's driven by some of the same things that a, a lot of my friends are, which is, you know, he didn't start out to solo El Cap. He's just like, how good can I get at this thing called climbing? And then he went and did it. And it's a very internal motivation versus being, I want to be the best climber in the world. And it's arguable, he's, you know, arguable whether that represents the best, but in that genre, he's the best in the world at it. Um, I don't think he started out to, to be the best in the world. He just was really interested in it and then went at it. And there you go. It's a pretty cool thing. Well, on that note, uh, the name of this podcast is Strive for More, but really it should be Suck Less uh, <laughs> after our recording today. So, Will, I just really want to sincerely thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You have really accomplished some incredible things in your life. And so I'm just really grateful that you took the time for the listeners out there. If you want to learn more about Will, you can find him personally on Instagram at realwillgad with two Ds or on his website at willgad.com. Will, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for uh, for having me and for what you're doing in the medical world. It's appreciated. And I look forward to running into you in the mountains and hopefully not professionally. With that six pack of beer. <laughs> With the six pack of beer. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. That's cool. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Thank you. Take care.
Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back, and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator. And find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.